awesome. Hey, church, I, uh, I would come here just for the bumper videos if I was you. I love that. I like how they corrected the, like, why, like, apostrophe, the kind of deal there going on, grammar nerds. Hey, welcome, everybody. My name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter, and we're starting a brand new series today called Asking for a Friend. And I'll tell you the kind of, the idea of the series is that before you make a commitment, to just about anything. Isn't it true that you'd probably do some level of research first? Or if it's not going to be you doing the research, you would probably have somebody else do some research for you. I have shared uh, some of my family dynamics with you in the past. I've got two older brothers. I'm the youngest. The middle brother in our family is like the family researcher. It's great to have one of these in the family because you don't ever have to dig in or learn more about anything because he's got it. He's always just a call or text away. A little while ago, true story, my washing machine started leaking this like oily lubricant out of the bottom. And I thought, that's not a good sign. I'm not a mechanic, but I kind of have that that much at least figured out. And because of the thing, uh, we, we bought it and it was the like cheapest one we could absolutely find 12 years ago when we purchased it. We thought, this is not a repair situation. This is a replace. And so what are we going to do? There's like so many options out there. Well, I know what I'm going to do. So I text my brother and I say, hey, bro, need a washing machine. Which one do you recommend? And so he texts me back. He goes, I don't know. We just went to the store and bought one. I'm like, no way. So I check my email and it starts off with LOL, LOL. Pages and pages of information on washing machines, right? Comparing all the different brands and styles and features and and prices and customer reviews. I mean, everything is right there. I skip the entire thing, go right down to the bottom where it tells me which one I want to buy, and I just go ahead and buy that one. (laughs) And it's a washing machine, like, like that's the, the point this morning is that, is that for something as silly and small as a washing machine, we're going to do that level of research. Somebody is, at least. And we're going to, like, siphon through and get, like, the sparks notes at the bottom. But before you make that kind of a commitment to something as short as a washing machine, an appliance that you know is going to break anyway in a number of years, we're still going to put in the legwork and to figure it out. So what we're doing throughout this year is to say, hey, sometimes bigger commitments are looming overhead. And for the purposes of this series, what we're asking for is a commitment, not just of the next dozen years of how to wash your clothes, but we're talking about a commitment of your life. We're talking a commitment for eternity. We're talking a commitment about what you believe, who you believe God is. We're talking about a, a commitment that involves patterning your entire life around a governing set of principles and ideals to live by. You owe it to yourself to ask a few questions about what that is. And I think one of the reasons why we don't ask more of these questions is because maybe you're embarrassed. Or maybe you think it's a silly question to begin with. Or maybe you come to church and you've been coming to church for so long that you think, I should probably know the answer to this already. And so you don't speak up and you don't ask those questions that you really want to have answered to because you think you should know it by now. And so right now we're going to say, that's fine. You don't have to ask the questions because throughout this series, we're going to ask them for you. We are asking for a friend. And the other part of this is that maybe you actually literally do have a friend. Right? It's like the person that you go to and you know you're going to see them tomorrow on the job site. You know you're going to bump into them at the office. You know you're going to see them because you're neighbors. Maybe you know you're going to see them over lunch today because they're your kid. 
right? Or they're your housemate or like somebody who's close to you who always has these like really deep and profound questions about God, about religion. And they know that you're one of those Jesus people. They know you're one of those religious types. And so as soon as you see them, they start like firing off all of these questions. And it's almost immediately you feel entirely out of your depth way, way, way over your head. And you're going like, I have no idea. And the first thing is, telling that to them, I have no idea, let me get back to you later. That's a fine answer because it's an honest answer that is okay to do. But we also want to help you out today and throughout this series and say, hey, if you feel that way, if you're bumping into that person, this is a perfect series because this is a series that we're going to ask these big questions together. So next time, just say, hey, let's go check it out together. My church is all asking these questions as a community. And in fact, even in small groups, we're, we're having these message uh, conversation groups spreading out from this. You can go on the website, encounterchurch.org slash events to check out a little bit more of those. One of them is a men's group that meets bright and early tomorrow morning. You can check these questions out and start making this more of a, from a monologue to more, more of a dialogue share the message over video. It's, uh, it's uploaded immediately following uh, the message here on Sunday afternoon. Do whatever you can to continue that conversation, to ask these big questions, because they're some of the biggest questions you're ever going to ask. And the first one that we're going to get to this morning in this series is this big question, but a simple question is, does God exist? Does God exist? I mean, okay, so here's the deal. We're in church, right? So like you came here today, and I'm guessing that the majority of you aren't going to be in this place of like, nope, absolutely not. I am only here for the cookies. <laughs> there are better and easier ways to get cookies and coffee, okay? I doubt that most of you are just here for that reason. But the reason why we're going to start off with this big question is because I know many of you, and I've talked to many of you, about, and, and I've heard many of your stories. And I know that thing that Barna does, right, or the Pew Research, when they come out with the polls of, like, categorizing people into their different kinds, their different systems of belief, right, where they put everybody and they put all of us in a box or a bucket, and they say, this group of people believe this, this group of people do that, right? They put one box and they call it, like, like Christianity or, like, evangelical Christian, and they have another box that's, like, Mormonism or Buddhism or, like, whatever. They have another box that's, like, nuns. Not like nuns, right? But like nuns, like no affiliation of religion at all, right? And it's like that box, right? And, and then like everybody goes nice and neatly into one of those boxes. But listen, I know you, church. I know many of your stories. And so I can kind of like make this composite around the rest of you and say, I don't think it's that simple. Because I think there's a ton of people who come here on the weekends who don't fit nicely into that box, at least not all the time. I know that there's many of you who come here on the weekends and you're like, oh no, I believe. I believe that there's a God out there. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some doubts at times. I'd be lying if I said that sometimes it felt like my prayers didn't really clear the height of the ceiling. I'd be lying if I said that sometimes I just kind of wonder if when I'm praying if there's anybody else on the other end of the line at all. Others of you come to church, honestly because it's a habit. And because this is where your community is, or because this is a great spiritual formation, education for your kids, then welcome. I'm glad that you're here. But, but you come here with a skepticism to say, like, listen, if I had to answer, like, the Pew Research, Barna, poll, whatever thing, and, and put myself in a category, I think that if pressed, I would probably just say no. I'd probably say, not right now, I don't believe. 
But isn't it true, too, that, that, that also you don't fit quite so nicely in that box either? Because there's sometimes that you come, and it's like you, you doubt your doubt. Right? And when you're, maybe your back's against the wall, or maybe you need some answers or some solutions to something. You need some, some, some like outside help. You kind of find yourself calling out or yearning out to someone, something else out there, and you're going like, I thought you didn't believe. And it's like, no, no. I mean, sometimes... I mean, I don't believe, but like I'm doubting my disbelief now. And we like blend into these other buckets as well. And so to some extent, I think this series is going to be truly for everybody. And there's one final group that I'd like to hit this morning. Speak directly to you because some of you prayed a prayer this morning that was something like this. God, this is where, this is your one last chance. This is like last chance Sunday. This is, the, this is the one last opportunity that I'm going to give you, God, to show me that you're out there, to show me that someone's on the other end of the line. God, this is your chance to wow me because if you don't show up in some dramatic way, listen, I am done. And I'll say two things. The first one is, isn't it cool that this message series is, does God exist? <laughs> this is the first installment. And the second one, and more importantly, before you walk away, I want to make sure that when you walk away, you know exactly what it is and who it is and what it isn't that you're walking away from. I'll give you an example that I heard a story uh, a while back about an old man and a young man. And the old man... uh, was a mentor to this young man. He heard that, uh, that the young man had recently uh, sort, sort of fallen out of faith, out of belief, and, uh, and just kind of like scrapping the whole thing because of a variety of life circumstances that just sort of hit him hard. And it'd be understandable if any of us were in his shoes. The old man goes over there and, and listens to him for a little while, and hears the man say, listen, I simply cannot believe any more I'm done. And the old man says, why? He's like, listen, after everything that I've been through, and you know, how could God, and why did God, and all these really honestly good questions, I can't believe in God anymore. And so the old man, he does something, he does something clever. Right? He takes, a, he takes a, a paper out, and he grabs a pen, and he goes, here, write down for a second everything that you believe about that God that you're walking away from. And he goes, no problem, right? And he gets a pen out and he starts writing. Then the words come quickly, right? God is angry and judgmental and intolerant and homophobic and narrow-minded. And, and he just like goes right through the list and just gets them all down in the paper and goes, there. That's why I can never believe in God. And the old man takes that paper, right? And he looks it over and maybe adjusting his glasses a little, he says, I don't blame you. Because if, I, because if I believed in a God like that, I'd walk away too. Can I just take a moment and to tell you about the God that I believe in? The God that I think Jesus points to in his story in the Bible recorded from the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Can I just take a minute and to tell you about the God that I know and love? And he starts rattling off 1 John 4 from memory. He says, dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love does not know God, because three important words, God is love. 
Now, that's such an important message this morning because anytime we kind of get into the existence or non-existence of God, listen, I want you to know something. If you're on the edge today and if you're wondering about stepping out, if you're wondering about walking away, if this is like last Sunday for you or if you came with somebody who was maybe the last Sunday or if you're watching online because you didn't even want to come into this place today, listen, I need you to know that whatever, whatever image of God was cast to you, if it doesn't begin and end with those three words that God is love, this isn't the God of the Bible. This is not the God of Christianity that you're walking away from. It's something else. If you hear nothing else from me, listen, listen to this. If, if you don't believe, if you don't see this God as the God who begins and ends with love, he's worth, it's worth walking away from. Because God, as John tells us, God isn't just someone who loves. It's not something that he did, though it is something that he did. It's who he is. Think, think about it like this. God, God claims to have done a lot of things in the Bible. God, God creates. God rules and reigns. God judges. God disciplines. He does these things, but he isn't these things, right? God does create. He does love, but he isn't creation, but he is love. It's different. So the, the creator is separate and distinct from the creation. He loves creation. That's why we do our compostable lids around here, right? Anybody, nobody's going to clap. They're a little harder to get on, but you'll get used to it. Um, he loves creation. We love creation, right? But the creator is separate and distinct from the creation, but, but when it comes to love, this is like a whole other category. Because not only did God do something that shows his love, he sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to die for us so that we would not perish but live forever and ever and ever and ever on with him. That was a loving thing that he did. But he is also love itself. Right? So, so the distinction on this thing is to say that unlike creation, everything else that he does is done with like an accent of love onto it. So, so that when God creates, he creates out of love. When, when God rules and reigns, he rules and reigns out of his love because he is love. It emanates out from him. When, when he judges and when he disciplines, church, listen to me, he does so out of love. And John tells us this. John, a disciple of Jesus. John, an eyewitness of Jesus. John tells us this, the guy who lived with Jesus for three years during his earthly ministry. John, the guy who slept just feet away from Jesus most of his life. John, the guy who looked at Jesus and said, not only is he the Son of God incarnate in human form, he is also love. In fact, as church tradition and his legend kind of fill this out even more, some of the church fathers wrote about John because he's the only disciple that really made it well into old age. And, and we're told that he lived to the ripe old age of 99 years old. And I just like, can you imagine in a, in a first century uh, um, life expectancy as it was of meeting somebody who's 99 years old? 
Right? And he lost almost all of his, uh, his faculties. He couldn't, he couldn't move. He couldn't walk. He couldn't write anymore. But, it, but in that old age, his disciples uh, carried him, picked him up in Ephesus, and they carried him into, into worship. And he would just repeat over and over and over, little children, love one another, love one another, love one another. It starts to, starts to make sense as to why he wrote the epistles that he did, love one another. And actually, according to the, the church tradition, some of the other people in the church got upset with him, right? Because, like, the guy leading this thing, right, the guy, you know, kind of on stage, at least when he was uh, able to be on stage, uh, he was the guy who lived with Jesus, right, for three years. And then he would, like, stand up on stage, and he would be like, love one another. I'm out. And they're like, dude, you lived with Jesus. Like, all of those weird parables that Jesus told that, like, we have no idea what they mean, didn't Jesus, like, at times pull you off to the side? And, okay, see, what I meant by that was actually about this. And can you give us something? And he's like, he said, no. That's, that's the summary of the gospel. That's what you need to know. That God loves you. So love one another. It's so powerful. And he brought that all the way to his death at 99 years old. And so I just, again... If your perspective of the image that you have of God doesn't begin and end with love, and this is the most important thing you could take out of today, this is not Christianity. This is not the God of Jesus and the God of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection, the God of the Bible. This is not that God that you're walking away from. That's something else. And after talking to many of you, I think I have uh, started to, start to put together kind of an idea about the many, um, the many like Lord G gods that are probably, I think, worth walking away from because you're going you're gonna to run into this at some point. And you're going to realize that these gods aren't really that godish at all and, and they don't really have any, any power and they're not even that real to begin with. And so I just want to say, listen, if you fall into any of these categories, it's worth walking away because these things don't really exist in the first place. And the first one that I want to show you is the, is the sidekick god. Throw that out. The sidekick god is... A, he is, uh, he is Robin to your Batman. Uh, he, he is Samwise to your Frodo. I'm out on a limb here. He, he is your donkey to your Shrek. That one hit, I get that one. But right, uh, the sidekick God, the, the sidekick God who's like always there to bail you out, right? He's, he's kind of behind the scenes most of the time, not a central character, but when your back is up against the wall, when you really need something to happen, something to give, you're just pushing and pushing and you no longer have anything else. It's the sidekick God who shows up at the last minute and makes everything happen, like, like moves one piece and like all of, the, all of the puzzles just fit right into place. That's, that's the sidekick God. And listen, the sidekick God it isn't real. The sidekick God is not the God that we're told about in the Bible. Okay, the sidekick God, I'll give you an example out of this one because it's embarrassing, but I figure if I embarrass myself, you'll feel more comfortable to share, keep sharing your stories with me and I'll have more content on the weekends. But, um, <laughs> just, sorry, just kidding. Um, I sit down in school once. I'm an undergrad, so I think I'm a freshman at the time. And, uh, you know, and I had a couple of these professors who said, hey, listen, like, don't worry about, you know, sending in your paper. Just any time, oh, man, any time before the end of the term is going to be fine. Send your coursework in then. And so I had an epic semester, right? So thanks, Mom and Dad, right, for paying for that once. Get, off the, get that out of the way. And I had an epic semester and an awful last 72 hours, 
right? Where I'm just like sitting down and I'm like, I've got five course papers to like crank out immediately. And so I'm just trying to do everything that I possibly can, right? And so now I'm, you know, I'm praying because I'm thinking about a future, you know, maybe in ministry, let's keep some of these doors open. And so I just throw out one of those Hail Marys to my sidekick, God, and I say, God, really need you to show up here. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's your chance to really wow me. Uh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just start like batting away at the keys, right? And I've got a five-page paper to do, and I'll just, I'll crank out five pages, right? I'll just be like that, that Jeff of the cat at the keyboard, right? Just like <laughs> pounding away. And, and I'll just come up with five pages. And God, if you could make sense out of it, if you could just like give, even if it's not like perfectly grammatically correct, that's fine, God. I'll take care of it on the other side. Like I'll fix that sort of stuff. If you could just maybe just give me a few good thoughts throughout that whole process, right? If you could just show up in that way, it's going to be amazing. Some of you are like, I can't believe my preacher did that. Um, so I pound away at the thing, right? And I, at the end of, you know, about five pages, I'm like, okay. And I'm scrolling through it. And there wasn't a legible word on the entire thing. Just just completely useless. Because God isn't a sidekick God. God begins and ends with love. And don't you think the most loving thing that he could have possibly done throughout that whole time is to simply, is to simply encourage me that way to do my own homework? Like, who cares if I got an A or failed the class? The more important thing is who I was becoming as a person. God says, no way I'm going to show up and bail you out that way. And that's kind of an easy example to give. But a much harder example is that when something happens, Right? You see your whole relationship heading into this direction. I mean, you see the, the beginning and end. You see it all spelled out clearly in the stars. Right? You know that he's the one, she's the one you're going to be together forever. And after dinner, he says, she says, I think it's done. Wishes the other people. And actually, I already have. And it's much harder in that moment, isn't it? It's so much harder in that moment to say, this too, this too was allowed out of love. And someday with faith, someday somehow being able to look back on that experience, that horrible, horrible thing, and to say, God, thank you. God, you are showing me something. God, you are teaching me something. God, you wouldn't allow me. God, you didn't allow me to go through life with this small understanding that you're a sidekick God who exists to help me get done whatever I want to get done. God, you showed me you're bigger. And I'll say thank you, and I'll pray someday I mean it, because this day, this also is out of Love. As a sidekick, uh, the, the second one that I want to uh, share with you is, uh, is what uh, one, uh, one author and, uh, and pastor down south, Andy Stanley, at a church, he calls it too good not to share it. He calls it the boyfriend God or the girlfriend God. You, you know the boyfriend God or the girlfriend God, uh, right? This is the God who exists to always make you feel good and feel like he's close and he's near. Right? He's the, this is the kind of God that's like, listen, I know, I know he lives because he lives inside of me. Right? This, is, this is the God that says, like, as long as I can sense his presence is around, as long as I can, I can 
feel him leading me into a particular direction. I know that he's near to me. And the issue, of course, starts to get into when we don't feel close to God, when we don't sense him leading us in any particular direction or another. Like, what happened to God? And listen, church, I'm just going to own this one. Like, on behalf of, I don't know, Christianity, if I can do that, I probably can't. But, like, we sort of, like, set ourselves up for kind of the boyfriend or girlfriend kind of God, this feeling. Because (laughs) isn't it true that a lot of the songs could also be like romantic love songs or worship songs, and you're not really totally sure which one is which? You don't think so. Let's play a little game. (laughs) This game is called Love Song or Worship Song. (laughs) Lay back against you and breathe. Hear your heartbeat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. Who thinks love song? Put them up. It's cool. You got to vote on something. Who thinks worship song? Carrie Job, worship song. Congrats to the minority of you. Next one, my first, my last, my everything, and the answer to all my dreams. Who thinks love song? Barry White. Congratulate yourselves. Awesome. A sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. Worship song? Yeah, you know David Crowder, right? That's just the point, though, right? That's just the point. It's like something, you know, we, we like walk right into this. In fact, one of my favorite worship songs is kind of a dated one now, but it's called Your Promises. And I loved so much. I loved it because like there was a line right in the song, right? It doesn't matter what I, doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I see. I know your promises will always be. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter how I feel. I love that part of it because it's true. It's true at some point, the boyfriend God or the girlfriend God who who you always feel close with, that God will let you down because that God doesn't actually exist. God never promised that you would feel close to him all the time. It's a gift when it does happen. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing. God created these feelings, but but just because you don't feel closer doesn't mean he's not around. I'll give you an example. Um, I remember when my wife and I first found out that we were expecting, right? So at that moment, I'm being told, I'm a dad, right? And I can see like ultrasound, like my daughter, and like, holy cow, I'm a dad. And then what happens? Like the next day I go to work, get nothing. I totally forget about it. I didn't feel like a dad. She has a tiny person inside of her jabbing her ribs and pushing down on the bladder, causing nighttime, all kinds of issues. But, but like, sorry, honey, um, but, but me... I would go long stretches without even thinking about the fact that I'm a dad. But it didn't mean that I'm any less dad in that moment. Outside of like now having a constant you know, back aches and terrible sense of humor, I'm a dad. <laughs> even when it doesn't feel like it. Right? I'm an American. And I don't feel necessarily like an American all that often. I mean, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, right? If I'm outside of the U.S., I mean, I feel like American. If I'm listening to country music, I'm listening, I feel like an American. <laughs> but sometimes when I don't, it doesn't mean that I'm any less American, right? It doesn't matter what we feel. That boyfriend God, the girlfriend God, will let you down because that God doesn't exist. And just because you don't feel close to him doesn't mean he's not close to you. If you're holding on to a boyfriend God or girlfriend God, it's okay 
In fact, you should walk away. In fact, you should even run away because that God will eventually leave you because he doesn't exist. The, the last one that I want to kind of highlight here is like the, is the irrational God, or sometimes he's known as like the anti-science God. Sometimes um, you kind of graduate high school and maybe you got, a, um, you got kind of an understanding about how the world works and uh, maybe a creation story within that, and then you go away to college or you read a book at some point and it's like, no, that's not the story at all. That whole thing, the whole thing that people told you your whole life is totally wrong, can't be true, and there's no way. And so now you're, you're pressed up against like these two options, right? You're pressed up against the science or the data of the thing. You're pressed up against somebody's interpretation of the biblical story. And you're like, listen, I can't have it both ways. I guess I have to choose. And I want to say that like false dichotomy of God of like having to choose that too. I mean, I mean, that's such a mistake. Think about it. Think about it like this, okay? Um, uh, before, like, this modern science kind of uh, enlightenment period, you had the pantheon of gods that uh, people back then in Jesus' day mostly believed in. Uh, the pagan uh, culture, religious system, I mean, you had the, the Zeus, um, Artemis, Apollo, and many more. Okay, so we had a way of explaining thunderstorms by, like, I guess Zeus dropped a lightning bolt, right? And it's like, well, that's where it all came from. You had, like, really creation itself was at the whims of the pantheon of gods. And so you'd be like, hey, we sent our boys off to, to war, to battle. They lost. I guess it's because Apollo, the god of war, was, was holding a grudge against us. We didn't honor him enough, and, and that's why we lost. So you have like fire starting sometimes with some materials and not other times with other materials. And you're like, well, I guess it depends whether or not Prometheus is going to bless us with fire today. right? And you have, as long as you have this kind of whimsical, um, uh, the deities, the pantheon of gods, who, who are just sort of making up the rules as they go. You're never going to dig down. You're never going to study. You're never going to develop hypotheses and theories around that. You're never going to test anything because it's all so fluid and changing in the first place. But it's when monotheistic religions, like most notably Christianity, come along and they start to say, no, this creation Know this creation that we read about in the Old Testament and the many faiths go back to the Old Testament. They say God actually created it. And you know, like one of the central tenets of the God of that Old Testament is a God who is entirely unchanging. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when he creates creation, he does it in such a routine way. He does it in such a consistent way. He does it in such a reliable way that you can actually depend on it and you can actually test it. And so long as the circumstances around that are the same, the thing is going to react the same way. And so you can start to understand how it all works. And every time you discover something, it honors him. And it delights him. It doesn't threaten him. Why would it? Every time you figure out how another part works, God, in the sense, smiles. Because as we understand a little bit more about his creation, like a piece of fine artwork, we understand something about the artist himself, herself. And he says, I've been waiting. Since the beginning of time, I've been waiting for you to figure that out. We have so much more to discover together. That science gives us the sense of what is and the data behind it. That God and theology and the Bible gives us the sense of the meaning behind it all, and they're not at odds with each other. How could it be? He made it. He allowed for it. 
They work together to point to something so much richer than anything else. And here we turn on the news, and we see that God, or that scientists discover the God particle. Or they've made some other discovery that we, that we depend on God to like, well, I don't know how it works, so there's God. And I believe in God because there's God. And going, no, no, you think God is that small? You think God is just relegated to those little areas? I mean, you pull out a phone, right? And uh, I have no idea how this magic little brick works. Like, no clue, okay? I don't know how the hardware works. I don't know how the software works. I don't know if those are even the right words to describe this. Right? No idea. But I know that this magical little brick can send videos of my daughter, right? I know that I can find out what most of you are up to, and I can send messages. Like, I, I, get, the, I get how phones, like, what they can do for me. I just have no idea what this thing is. So can you imagine just for a second, if somehow one of you or many of you were able to teach me everything about how this magic brick works, like all of the layers behind the whole thing, from the software and the development of it to the hardware, down to the little electro and those green little chips that I assume are inside of this thing, to the whole design thing. And could you imagine if, you, if like you, you taught me how every last little part of this entire thing works? And my conclusion was, wow. Now that I know how my whole phone works, it's no longer magic to me. So I guess Steve Jobs never invented it in the first place. Like, what? What? No. No. If, if I figured out how every layer of this whole thing works or this whole thing works, I would go before Apple or Steve Jobs or whatever and say, dude, that was amazing. I can't believe that you created, you made this whole thing. The, 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 the creativity and the engineering and the, just the wow the, behind the whole thing, that's absolutely incredible. And you could probably say the same thing for Android, but I won't. <laughs> Snap. We go before God, and the more we figure out, it doesn't threaten him, it doesn't make him smaller or put him into a box. It impresses him and it delights him, and he can't wait to see what we discover about his creation and even his creativity next. Now, that's maybe a few things that don't belong. That if you grew up and somebody pitched to you an irrational anti-science sidekick or boyfriend or girlfriend, God, listen, you have every right. You should not just walk, but run away from a God like that. But if I could do that thing that the old man did in the story that I told you earlier, and if I could just tell you on a very basic level, but the God that I believe in, I would go to Psalm 19, 1 and 2, and I would see it as the heavens declare the glory of God, as I imagine somebody in the ancient world walking outside and with cities made of hundreds, maybe thousands, not tens of thousands, not millions, without light pollution, walking outside and seeing galaxies and stars spread out like a heavy lit canvas, looking up at that and say they glorify God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, they proclaim the work of his hands. And it's going on, right? Like day after day, they pour forth speech, night after night. They impart what? Knowledge. They're showing us something. And listen, church, I don't think, I don't think that God wanted a proof so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was out there. I think there's something in his nature, there's something in his character they wanted to give us clues, but in his infinite wisdom, he decided 
He decided, I'm not going to prove it to you. I want you to trust me. And that's a whole other message entirely. But I just want to ask you the question about God. Especially for those of you, maybe on your last weekend, especially if those of you drifting into doubt or those of you doubting your doubt and drifting into faith at times, is to just walk outside and ask that question. What's it saying, all of this creation? What's it speaking? What knowledge is it imparting? This is uh, what one author, Francis Collin, he calls the welcome mat. And I just love this. He's a, he's a geneticist by trade, but he's writing this in the language of God and a handful of other books. And he goes, you just think about the creation itself and everything that had to happen in order for it to be dialed in just exactly right. And we're talking about, about these basic physical laws. We're talking about the, the constant of the speed of light, gravitational force. We're talking um, about the, atom- the strength or weaknesses of atomic bonds, right? We're not talking about, about life like humanity itself, but we're just talking about the basic structures so that the universe doesn't pull apart and melt or like collapse in on itself. We're just, we're talking about these basic constants, and he identifies 15 of them. And he goes, imagine you're creating something, and you've got these 15 very, very large dials that you have to dial in just exactly right. And to be sure, they're actually infinity size, each one of them, with limitless possibilities. And each one of them has to be dialed in to the millionth of a part, or in some cases, a part of a million million. And they all have to be just exactly so for this to exist. Doesn't it point to something beyond, well, it was bound to happen sometime. It's chance, and it's random after all. Even Stephen Hawking, the physicist uh, renowned, he wrote about the odds, the statistics behind this whole thing. And he goes, surely, when you start to get into the numbers behind it, the likelihood of this happening, we are talking about religious implications. And he wasn't even a believer I like what, what Alvin Plantinga said about this whole thing. I think this is so important. He's a philosopher, Christian philosopher, and he said, just on the odds level, church, I know you're Christian, so you're not going to do this, but imagine you sit down and you're playing poker, right? I know you play poker, so don't pretend. Right? You sit down and your friend, and here's your friend's deal, and he starts to deal, right? It's a five card. Everybody gets five cards. He lays his down, and he's got four aces. I mean, quad aces on the first hand. Wow, you got to give him that. Okay, good job, man. You outplayed me. Maybe some, you know, you, you, you won the hand, obviously. So we're going we're gonna to play again, right? Everybody takes turns dealing. Comes time for his turn again. He lays his cards down. Again, five cards, five shots he had. And again, he gets every ace in the deck a second time. Let me just ask, when that happens, where's your belief at this moment, Right? People have been playing cards for hundreds of years. I don't know. I'm making that up. A long time. Right? It's bound to happen that somebody at some point gets a hand of quad aces. It's bound to happen if five cards are dealt out. Maybe even twice that a hand of aces has been held out. But when it happens that third time, is your, is your level of belief saying, you know what? Wow, that's impressive. I'm glad I could see four aces three times come out of your hand. Man, I'm just glad I could could witness some of that. Or are you thinking I need better friends? (laughs) Because chances are 
you're looking at this whole thing and you're going, no, I don't think that just by chance you got three or four aces three times in a row. And especially as his turn, his turn again, a fourth and fifth time, and a tenth time, and a fifteenth time, and twenty times in a row, and we're not even approaching the odds of these 15 constants locking into place just exactly as they are. But I just want to say, not as a proof, but just as a clue, if that were to happen, would you assume? Would you assume that you have an honest friend who's just the subject of random chance, or would you assume that there was something else at work? Maybe an intelligent card shifter who stacks the deck. I just want to say the reasonable person would conclude that there's someone behind it stacking the deck on your behalf to create all of this. And if you want to go ahead and if you want to leave here today and you just want to kind of assume that the, the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell was right and said all of this is just, it's just an accidental collection of atoms and there isn't an inherent meaning or purpose or design behind any of it, and what we interpret as love or beauty or morality of right, of wrong, of justice in the world. I mean, that's just, that's just what we tell ourselves to sleep at night, but there isn't anything real out there. You can. And maybe you just got those aces on accident. But I'm suggesting, church, is that there is meaning. And there is purpose. And there is right, and there is wrong, and there is beauty, and there is love in the world because someone stacked the deck on your behalf. Next week, when we get together, we'll hear that love actually has a name, and that name is Jesus. Would you stand up and would you pray with me today? Gracious God in heaven, Lord, we have so much to be grateful for that we don't even know about. God, many of us, people like myself, I don't know how this whole creation works. God, all of this is so far beyond me. I'm so far out of my depth, but God, I trust you. And God, I pray that some of us here today who are, who are maybe believing, but we have our seasons of doubts, or maybe we're doubting and we have our seasons of belief, or maybe we're at the end of our ropes. God, I ask that you show up and you meet us here that you open up our eyes, not to feel something new, not to feel your presence, though that would be a gift, but you open up our eyes to see you, a God who's behind it all, a God who imparts meaning and knowledge and purpose and wisdom and beauty and justice and everything right in this world. God, I ask that you give us the faith to believe, God, that you are good. And you've promised good to those who love you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, if you struggle with doubts or belief, we have a prayer team set up in back. We would love to pray with you about that or about anything during this last song.